Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we will be exploring reprogramming your subconscious mind. My guest is RJ Spina, who has been a guest on New Thinking Aloud several times in the past. You can check our listings for that. RJ has verifiably healed himself of permanent chest down paralysis or paraplegia as well as severe chronic illness and other life-threatening conditions. He is the author of Supercharged Self-Healing, a revolutionary guide to access high-frequency states of consciousness that rejuvenate and repair. His newest book is Change Your Mind, Deprogram Your Subconscious Mind, Rewire the Brain, and Balance Your Energy. RJ now lives in New York, New York State, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, RJ. It's good to be with you once again. Likewise, Jeff. It's always nice to see you. I'm glad we could reconnect again. We've done, of course, you know, and I know, and many of our viewers will know, uh, five or six interviews in the past. They are on uh, available through our listings. And mostly we focused, of course, on your first book and on your remarkable healing. And I'm under the impression from reading your new book that it actually deals with a process you went through prior to uh, ever becoming ill, uh, which was the largely the focus of the first book. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost in reverse, even though this book is is then the follow up or the sequel. The supercharge, but yeah, this is something that I did. I mean, I'm my own guinea pig, Jeff, as you know. So this is something that I did years and years ago, uh, and it's also something that I've uh, helped utilize with uh, students in terms of the process, the the different processes that are captured in the book. But yeah, you're right. This is something that I discovered uh, years ago, but I felt it was time to put it in book form so everyone could avail themselves of it. And it sort of sets the stage for the healing, that the remarkable healing that you engaged in subsequently. Yeah, they, yeah. They, there's no way to separate these two things out. That's that's for sure. And it's really about, as as you know, I'm sure we're going to get into it. It's really about owning your own mind. And once you're able to own your own mind, really the limitations have been removed because, as you know, the subconscious, the subconscious mind is responsible for 95% of reality creation. So our rational thinking mind has very little effect on the life and the reality that we create for ourselves. So I felt uh, compelled and impelled to uh, write the treasure map as to how to get to the subconscious mind and remove the limiting programs so that the higher mind can take over the incarnation, which has absolutely no limitations. One of the terms that you use that I found particularly central to this work is uh, what you call the EMI, the ego mind identification. Let's let's talk about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, though, the ego mind identity, uh, I feel it's a more holistic and deeper understanding of the term when we use the word ego, which has been used, you know, for uh, how long, I don't really know. But I feel like ego mind identity narrows it down and gives us a more tangible understanding of what it is that prevents us from self-realization, from enlightenment, and also from achieving the things that we know that we're all capable of. And oddly enough, and not so odd, ego mind identity, Jeff, from a purely physics perspective, also stands for electromagnetic interference. And so when we start to look at this, our ego mind identity are, are all the things that we have misidentified what we really are with. So those frequencies, those wavelengths, that information is not your authentic frequency. And that's what we end up emanating. So the ego mind identity is the false character, and it comes from the electromagnetic interference of all the things that we have misidentified ourselves with, as well as the things that I talk about in this book that have been programmed into the subconscious mind where we may not have made a conscious choice to identify with it. But just like things like subliminal messages and things like that, these things are coming in beyond our five sensory perception and they're landing and they're leaving an impact. So the ego mind identity is a limitation program that runs by thinking and it also stands for electromagnetic interference and it lends itself very well to the pattern subconscious egoic mind. And those are the things that must be removed. They first must be seen clearly, consciously. Then they can be removed, just like deleting a, a, a program from your computer. And now the hard drive returns to its pristine form, which has absolutely no limitations. You give as an example an instance in which you uh, walked, I guess, into the bathroom, looked at yourself in the mirror, started brushing your hair, and, and then you began asking yourself, why am I doing this? Yeah, it all, it all came from that, oddly enough. right? This, it all, it all came from that. So way back when, whenever this was, it feels like it was about 14 years ago, give, give or take. I don't, I don't really, I still have the notebooks, but I don't really remember when it was. So I could tell at the, at the time, Jeff, that the things that I was doing, the life that I was leading, my desires, the way that I was operating, I could tell it wasn't really me. I, I could feel it. And I, and I think I likened it to in the, in the book, I think I mentioned it almost felt like something swimming around my head, almost like a snake slithering over my brain. And it was, it was literally driving me crazy. It felt like my life wasn't my own. So I would have done anything uh, to, to liberate myself, to wake myself up. So what I decided to do is this, what, I, what is now called and captioned in the book, the 14 day notebook challenge. So essentially for me to claim my life back, to own my own mind, I had to figure out what my core motivation was for everything that I was doing. Every action, every behavior, I needed to understand where it was coming from because until I understood where it was coming from, it wasn't my life. It was someone else's or something else's. So I determined that if I deconstructed in a, in a very uh, easy and robust manner, which is captured in the book, if I deconstructed why I was doing what I was doing, getting to my core motivation, I would then understand what was driving and creating my life. So I decided instead of at the time, I told my partner, I, I said, uh, well, I'm going to take two weeks off of work. She's like, oh, great. Where are we going to go? I said, we're not, we're not, we're not going to go anywhere. Uh, I'm actually going to 
I'm actually going to deconstruct myself and, and uh, experience self-realization. So, which is not weird for me to say, but anyway, so I decided that if I just deconstruct everything, so the very first day, right, I actually, I, I admit it, I slept with my notebook. I, I did. So, cause I knew that next morning I was going to start. So I had my notebook and I had a pen, right? So the very first day of this two week sort of uh, deconstruction or deprogramming started. So I wake up in the morning, Jeff, and you know, I've got to go to the bathroom, right? So I get up, go to the bathroom. I take my notebook and my pen. And as I'm walking into the bathroom, I just casually catch a, a glimpse of, of my reflection in the mirror. And of course, yeah, I just slapped my hair. Hair was all, it's always all over the place. So my hair was all over the place. Now, without thinking about it, Jeff, I just reflexively grabbed a brush and just started brushing my hair. No thought process, mindless, totally mindless. So now I was doing something that I had real no no conscious directive as to why I was even doing it. So I'm brushing my hair and all of a sudden I catch myself, whoa, whoa, what is what is going on here? So I stopped because that was exactly what I was talking about, right? So I stopped. I wrote down in my notebook, brushing my hair. And then I began this very gentle but tenacious self-inquiry practice. And I asked myself, why am I brushing my hair? The first answer I, that I got is, is because it's a mess. Okay, that's a justification. That's not the real reason, right? So I asked again, so why do I care if my hair is a mess? The answer is because I want it to look good. Okay, again, a justification. Why do I care if my hair looks good? The next answer I got, I knew I was getting somewhere. The next answer I got was, so other people find me attractive. Whoa, okay. Now we're, get, now we're getting to the subconscious pattern ego of mind, right? So, so I'm brushing my hair. Ultimately, at that moment, the realization was, so other people find me attractive. So then I was bold enough to ask again, why do I care? Why do I care if other people find me attractive? And the answer I got was, because I get a sense of myself from other people's opinion of me. In that moment, I realized I was onto something big because I just realized that that behavior, that action was done totally unconsciously at the behest of what we could call the matrix or societal conditioning. That had nothing to do with the real me. And that was the first thing that I did. And it was literally like someone deleted a program off my brain. I could feel it. All of a sudden, there was, there was an inner expansion and a, and a lightness just from that one thing. And that was all I needed to continue to, uh, to be a lunatic for the next two weeks and uncover everything that I was doing simply by getting to the core motivation of why I was uh, performing that action or engaging in that behavior. Now, if I were to speak to most social psychologists and sociologists, they would say, well, the real you is a, a person embedded in society so that it's natural and important to care about how other people respond to you. Yeah. And from a human perspective, that, <laughs> from a human perspective, Jeff, that would be 100% on the money with, without a doubt. There's, there's no argument for that. But I would, I would dare us all to go a little deeper and realize that aren't we still the awareness of everything that is going on? Aren't we the awareness of this human person, this character that needs to function? And no one is saying don't function in society, but aren't we the awareness of this character? And that's really the key. We want to get, from my perspective, Jeff, 
we want to get to the pure awareness because the pure awareness is when you own your own mind. And this is when we can create the life that's truly befitting of what we really are. If our goal, and there's nothing wrong with it, if our goal is to fit into society, I would say we've missed the real point because there's no point in really fitting in because none of us came here to stay. We want to actually own our own mind and figure out the way, and I believe the book lays this out, figure out how to be your true self in society as opposed to having society mold you so you fit in. Beautifully put. Uh, let's talk for a moment about how you would define your true self. Oh, what a great question. Okay. Someone asked me that before. Someone asked me that too. That exact, that exact, it's a great question, Jeff. Okay. So, from my perspective, the true self is what I call sentience. And the sentience is the I am. Most of us are familiar with the I am. So, what we are at our core, from my direct experience, is uh, an indirect fractal of God. I say indirect because we're a projection of our higher self. So, indirect fractal of God, and just like a drop of water, if you have a glass of water and you take a drop out, it's still water. So, the sentience is God. We are God, just less in volume. It is the I am, the sentience, the true self, is our level, amount, or weight of love and wisdom whose subsets are our talents and abilities. That's what everyone is. That's the I am. That's the God spark. That's the sentience. That is what we are, we are given. That thing, that I am, that God is given energy to create with. And that's the energy that we use when we're incarnate. That's the energy that we use to think, to emote, to animate the body as I talk with my hands like crazy and have these experiences. So, but at the core, Jeff, we're the I am that's commanding and manipulating energy and the I am is the, is the true self. I know throughout your book, you also use the word immortal to describe the true self. Yeah, it, it, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, if more of us, uh, again, from my perspective, if more of us learned how to meditate properly and we were able to leave our body, right? And this is something that I came into this incarnation just doing uh, naturally. Uh, we would no longer fear death and we would realize the truth that we literally are immortal. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. So, we simply just go from one reality to another reality. Astral death is physical rebirth. Physical death is astral rebirth. The key is to transcend both of those limit, uh, limiting identities and then you can come and go as you please and you tangibly realize your own immortality. So, uh, the true self is, is immortal. It's absolutely immortal. And the key to understanding that is to touch what it is that gives birth to beginnings and endings. Incarnations have a beginning and an ending, but it's what gives birth to that. The true self is the real key. Another point you make right at the beginning of your book is that uh, we are at a unique moment in history, a moment where there is more social disorder, social disease. People have more anxiety, depression, addiction, and, and fundamental unhappiness than at any other time, I think, in my lifetime. Yeah, it's, it's palpable. Um, pretty much anyone can recognize that. Uh, but it's all part of, let me put it this way, instead of me going on and on and on about something, let's look at it this way. If we do a detox, 
right? Everything has got to come out, right? Sometimes we're running to the bathroom, right? Because we're doing a detox. Okay, this is, this is a spiritual detox. All these things that have been embedded through societal conditioning, programming, the misuse of the I am and our true self, getting engaged and stuck and identifying with all these low frequency things, for us to awaken further, which is exactly what's happening. It's exactly what's happening. For us to awaken further, Jeff, we have to let go by recognizing the things that we identified ourselves with that have held us back. So these things have to come up. And just like a, a, a regular detox, it can, be, it can be messy, be uncomfortable, not feel good, all these kind of things. But how do we feel after the detox? Like a million bucks. So this is actually what we're doing, a spiritual detox on multiple, multiple levels. You're suggesting that all the social problems that are causing people so much anxiety today are part of a deeper process. Yeah, uh, for sure. Sometimes this is called uh, the dark night of the soul, right? It, it, it's, it's really, let's look at it this way. Think of, a, think of a caterpillar, right? For a caterpillar to become what it really is, the butterfly, it, it has to destroy itself. It literally has to destroy itself. It has to make itself completely and utterly vulnerable and completely go within and destroy itself for it to be reborn into what it really is. And so this is what's happening for humanity. We're being reborn into what we really are. All the stuff I talk about, about the mighty I am and sentience and not having limitations. This is exactly what I mean. We have to let go of our limitations, which are programmed into the subconscious mind and the ones that we agree to become part of our egoic identity. So this is part and parcel of awakening. It's part and parcel of, of uh, ascending. There it is behind me, ascending the frequencies. So this is natural. And the whole key is, is to not get too caught up in what's happening. Let all these things, everything that we believed in, this is happening for everybody. Everything that we believed in before, we're not seeing it in the same way. There's lots of cracks. There's lots of corruption. There's lots of stuff coming to the surface. As, as above, so below. We are actually starting to break free of these things. And it can be messy. But no, the truth of the matter is everybody's going to be just fine. Let's talk about the 14-day notebook challenge uh, that you described earlier. We, we began with the uh, example of you looking into the mirror, and I presume that this is what you're going to be doing for the entire 14 days. Yeah, literally. So th this, is, this is the caterpillar, <laughs> right? So this is us deprogramming. This is us removing. So what, what, what everyone does when they, when they get this, what I did and what I've taught students actually to do for years, is you simply start to question your core motivation based upon whatever action or behavior that you are undertaking. And it's so simple but so profound by simply getting to the, the point of, why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? And as you do that, the first couple of answers based upon anything that you're doing, even brushing your hair, the first answer or two you're going to get is a justification, not the core motivation. So the key is to go past that. Like I said to myself, why do I, why do I care if other people uh, don't find me attractive, right? That's a justification to brush my hair. But getting to the core motive of every single action and behavior. And I found that if you do this for two weeks, you are priming yourself for authentic self-realization because now you're removing everything that you're not 
because self-realization and enlightenment is a destructive process. It's not a constructive process. It, it's not an adding, Jeff, in any way. You're not adding something because we are already perfect, whole, and complete. The I am, God, that's actually what we are. So self-realization or enlightenment, which is full communion with the higher self, happens as you remove peeling the onion, whatever uh, analogy you want to give, through questioning, gentle but tenacious and honest, questioning as to why you're doing what you're doing, you will eventually remove everything that has nothing to do with you, and the higher mind will take hold, and self-realization is next. And this can be accomplished, you're claiming, in 14 days. Abs absolutely. I've seen people do it. it. It has to do with the dedication, Jeff, right? It's kind of like, think of it as exercise, right? Oh, I want to get in great shape. Oh, and you go to the gym twice. It's like, that's, that's not going to happen, right? But if you go to the gym diligently, diligently, every day, right? Look at, look at the results that we get. This is no different. We have to be dedicated and focused. And like everything else, Jeff, you know, it comes to self-control and self-discipline. It always comes back to self-control and self-discipline. And it's either going to be the pain of regret or the pain of self-discipline. I highly recommend the latter. So it's just about applying yourself diligently and everything will be removed and you will own your own mind once again. Well, I know in the field of psychotherapy, and, and I've been a licensed psychotherapist for a long time. I haven't practiced for a long time either. But uh, one of the standard tropes is that self-awareness is not enough. People can spend years in psychotherapy and have enormous insights as to why they are the way they are without being able to change. Uh, so why is your process different than that? Because once you see it, that's another great question, Jeff. Once you see the program that you're running, whatever that is, like me, like getting my sense of self-worth from other people's opinion of me. Okay. Once it becomes tangible and seen within the conscious mind, you realize that that has nothing to do with you. You realize that that's a societal program, the matrix, whatever word you want to use. You realize that's a societal program. At that moment, you're able to detach from that because you'll recognize, well, that's not me. That's, that's just a bunch of nonsense. That's got nothing to do with me. And as you keep removing these things, the only thing that's left is the I am. That's it. Now, for me, the reason why I think it doesn't necessarily work in, in, in terms of what you were talking about before is because there is a, uh, a continuous rumination and identification and going over these things over and over and over again. We're never actually just letting it go. We're never actually recognizing it as something that has nothing to do with what you really are. Instead, we talk about the trauma or the issue and not saying these things didn't occur. Of course they occurred. But by talking about them over and over again, Jeff, we're keeping them in our mind and we're keeping them within our body of energy. Now, self-realization and detachment are actually the opposite of that. The only thing I'm interested in is the freeing of humanity on every single level. I have no interest in anything else. I'm obsessed with it, literally, literally. So by seeing it tangibly, you then realize it's not you, you can let it go. It's the opposite of talking to someone about something traumatic, which did occur, something traumatic that happened and you keep talking about it over and over again. Well, then where is it going? 
it stays within your mind and it stays within your body of energy. And that to me is why that that's not enough and why this is radically different and more powerful by an order of magnitude. So, in effect, you're suggesting that two weeks of uh, a person working by themselves with their own notebook, watching all of their motives continuously for two weeks can be more effective than five years once a week meeting with a psychotherapist. I would say it's not even close. I would say it's not even close. Yes, 100%, Jeff. Well, you you know what, uh, RJ, I don't disbelieve you at all. <laughs> and I think this, as a person who has spent many years in the field of psychotherapy, I find it fascinating. But I wonder also if uh, it also depends on the depth of the you know, disturbance of the personality that maybe not every person is a appropriate for the 14-day notebook challenge. I would say, okay, I would say it's appropriate for everyone because ev everyone is us. Everyone has the human experience. If we're here, everyone is having this experience, right? And it's traumatic because we're so far from, from home, where we come from, and we're so disconnected from the higher self and having total communion and connectivity. It's traumatizing on the deepest levels just to be here. And I really mean that. Then you add on top of that the things that can occur here, which are beyond – from a human perspective, they're beyond horrifying, literally. So I would say it applies for everybody. And I've done this with people that have gone through satanic ritual abuse. I mean, I'll come out and say it. People have come to me for everything, Jeff, and I mean everything. They do this. There's no words for them to describe how liberated they are. They can't. They they say, "Where has this been my whole life? I've years and years and years of therapy, years and years and years of this, and I've been doing this for five days, and I've never felt this way in my entire life." There's something about self inquiry, Jeff, that is so powerful. Every authentic mystic and master talks about. Self-inquiry and meditation and fasting, by the way, there's a reason for that. It works. It, it, it's so potent. Uh, well, some people have a harder time. Well, of course, some people will have a harder time. Some people have a harder time going to the gym. Some people have a harder time focusing. I would just say dig in. Dig in. Summon the will. Harness the attention and put the attention to where it absolutely needs to go because where your attention goes, your energy flows. If you want something to grow, put your attention on that. And when you put your attention on what you really are, the expansion starts to happen instead of putting your attention and energy on all the things that are, that are bothering you, that are wrong, that happened when I was a kid. When you start doing this, liberation is right around the corner and it's tangible. Well, you certainly include in your new book quite a number of case studies, people who came to you with, with really serious problems, physical ailments, emotional disturbance, poor relationships, and you describe that they uh, at least experienced a measure of liberation. Yeah, but the inner, that's right. The inner mechanics are the same for everybody. 
That's why. We are sentience given a body, body of energy to create with. And when you work directly with the sentience, the only thing that can happen is the letting go of everything that we've misidentified ourselves with. And we get to that by questioning why we're doing this. And we start to realize that's not me. That is not me. And then each time we realize this, a program gets deleted and more of what we really are just starts to expand and it becomes tangible. So it works for everything. It works for everyone because the inner mechanics are universal. What's inside me is the same thing that's inside you, the same thing inside your neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. What humanity needs is a robust, repeatable system, just like the Ascend the Frequencies Healing Technique in order to put yourself back together and overcome anything. This is the same thing for your limitation program, for deprogramming your subconscious pattern mind. It doesn't matter. There's no hierarchy of trauma. Every single person where these things occur, to them, it's the biggest deal in the world. It's all ice cream, just different flavors. Okay? So when we're with ourselves, the same thing occurs. It's, it's a universal process that's, that's potent and powerful and, and repeatable. Well, one thing I noticed in uh, your description of these case studies, you, you'd have an initial conversation with a client. The uh, a person would engage then after some guidance from you in the 14-day notebook challenge and then followed, as I recall, by a, a week-long process of, uh, um, how would you describe it, an a, a evaluation. Yeah, the, ener the energy diagnostic system, mm -hmm. yes, which is the part. So this is, this is measuring uh, the return on, or what I call the return on investment on our, our energetic investments. So this can be a relationship, this can be an activity, this can be a job, this, it can be anything. So once we start to get a quantifiable metric for the return on investment of the energy that we're pouring into a situation, a job, a relationship, a circumstance, an activity. Once we start to understand, is this uplifting me or decreasing my energy? Do I, do I feel excited, enlivened? Do I feel full of vim and vigor after interacting with this person or engaging in this activity or going to this job or whatever it is? Because the whole book breaks down all these different categories. Yeah. By asking yourself simple questions, you start to realize, is this a worthy energetic investment? Is it adding to my life? Am I more uplifted, happier, more determined, more willful? Or do I feel the opposite after I hang out with this person or after I go to work and I've convinced myself that I have to do this for a paycheck, but it's making me miserable and it's affecting all these other aspects of my life. Now there's a system, what I call the energy diagnostic system. I, I just called it that because it's a cool name. So, but it gives us questions to ask ourselves. Very, as you know, very simple questions. None of this is complicated. Very simple questions. You then rate and score based upon one through or zero through five. Yeah. And you, once you get the number, you actually realize, okay, this person, this relationship is actually energetically a good investment for me. Or you realize the opposite. This person, this relationship based upon all these questions and the answers that I get, this is not good for me. So it's going to give humanity a tangible metric on what is actually good for them energetically and what is bad for them energetically. I really liked that process. I think it was elegantly put together. And uh, what struck me is you're using a financial metaphor, return on investment, but you're applying it to what probably is every individual's greatest asset, even if they don't realize it, which is simply their attention. 
Jeff, that's it, my friend. That's it. And another work or book in the future is going to be about that word attention. So uh, attention is energy. Okay. There's a reason why we call it paying attention. Okay. What we give our attention to, right, is is an energetic debit, right? Fine. We'll keep with the financial terms, right? So if we're giving something, someone, whatever it is, we're giving it our energy, our attention. We are paying attention. There is a debit there. So we have to be completely and utterly mindful about what we put our attention, which is energy, on. And if it is uplifting, is, does this job actually energize me? Does this relationship energize me? Does this circumstance energize me? Does this activity energize me? Am I increasing my energetic bank account or am I decreasing my energetic bank account? Now, most of us don't have or probably none of us have a metric that gives us a quantifiable answer. So that's why I spend all that time in the book about the energy diagnostic system, because our greatest resource, our most precious resource is our energy. And where our attention goes, our energy flows. We have to make sure that what we're putting our attention on is adding to our life and not subtracting from our life. Well, I'm sure that's why I do so many of these interviews. Yeah, well, absolutely. This, I mean, some some of these things we do naturally, okay? But where we're programmed, Jeff, is where we will often not have clarity as to how things are really affecting us because we just say to ourselves, well, that's just the way it is, or I, I just have to do that, or X, Y, Z. Right. Because it's been programmed. Most of us have a general idea if we're uplifted from an event, a circumstance, a person or this or that. But it's all these other aspects of our life that we might not be completely sure. And then when you actually ask yourself those questions and measure it, it is revelatory as you know, captured in the book. It is revelatory for people because they just thought they had to do that or they thought they had to engage in that way. And now they realize I am massively depleting my energetic bank account. I'm going to remove that out of my life. And then they start to realize how much better they feel. Very interesting. But I wonder this, RJ, a person, I know you are a very disciplined person. However, it would seem to me that it would be only human for many people to go through the two-week notebook challenge and the one-week energy diagnostic process and feel that they're making all kinds of positive changes only to start backsliding after a while. I would say, Jeff, that we have to be very careful of the language that we use because when we say things like we're only human or oops, I did it again, some song, something else, some other mantra, some other yeah. self-talk that we say to ourselves. Yeah. Jeff, this is, from my perspective, this is crucial because how I describe it, right, with my bizarre understanding of things, how I describe it is the voice in our head is the spell that we're putting over ourselves. If Merlin were here, that is exactly what he would say. So when we say things like, well, I'm only human, feel that when you say that. When you say those words, feel that. I'm only human. Does it even feel good to say that? It, it can feel good. I mean, it can feel like uh, having compassion for oneself. 
the compassion goes beyond being human. Compassion has to do with the true self and the I am. When we limit ourselves, when we say I'm only human, it is always done in a limitation program. And there's a contraction when you when you say I and then only. Hmm. There is an energetic contraction. Now these are things, Jeff, we all say this stuff. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. We all say this stuff. But once you really lose your mind, you become so attuned to the spell, to the voice inside your head, and you realize the great effect these words have upon the consciousness, the collapsing of consciousness, and the constriction of energy. When you say I only, okay, there's nothing, there's nothing only or I only about God, about infinity. It doesn't exist. There's no only. So it doesn't apply to us either. And that's the spell that we put over ourselves. And hopefully these works, these books, and me going on and on and on will help people realize that there's absolutely no limitation except the ones that you put upon yourself by saying, well, I'm only human. Of course, saying I'm only human may be uh, one of a hundred different excuses a person can make uh, for backsliding. It could be done in, in a moment of no thought whatsoever, like you're brushing your hair. You, you got it. And that's why this book is revolutionary and powerful, because it makes those things come to light. It's exactly what you just said, Jeffrey. By examining everything that we're doing and getting to the core motivation behind it, we take back our mind. And that is the whole key. There is no freedom without taking back the mind. Freedom is not doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Freedom is escaping the tyranny of the finite mind and limiting body consciousness. That is the only freedom. And that is the direction humanity is going in. And that's why I write these books. So we have a repeatable, robust process that helps humanity do just that. I have to commend you because, uh, to me, your authenticity uh, rings as loud as a bell. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. And I, that's what I want for everyone. I want everyone to be their true self. And that's when this planet changes overnight. And I mean it. But it doesn't happen. It does not happen. Let me make that clear. It does not happen until you own your own mind. Because if you don't own your own mind, then who does? What does? What is actually happening? Now we start to understand why the world is the way it is. It starts with one single person waking themselves up. One light going on in an area bathed in darkness, and now all of a sudden everyone can see. So this this is the key, Jeffrey, and that's why uh, that's why we didn't talk for a while is because I had to finish writing this book and I wrote a whole, a whole other book, and the whole other book will do something else for for humanity in terms of self mastery teachings. Owning our own mind is the key, and now we can do it in a very simple, robust, repeatable process. Well, why is the 14-day notebook challenge, 14 days, isn't it really more a lifelong process? Another great question. I feel like I'm repeating myself. Okay. So what, what happens is, I'll, I'll liken it to this, Jeffrey. We've heard the term the effortless effort, right? Flowing, being present. Okay. Because we start off, uh, from my perspective, out of alignment, subconscious pattern, ego of mind. So we start off out of alignment. Okay. So in the beginning, it takes 14 days, what I found by working with all these people, thousands and thousands of people over the last, certainly the last eight years, but even before that, even before I, be, I became paralyzed, 
I found that 14 days is enough for everyone to become from the caterpillar to the butterfly. Now, once that happens, you don't need, you don't need to do this. So in the beginning, just like practicing meditation, right? Mm -hmm. The self is meditation. You exist before there's a thought. Okay. Descartes is a fool. I think therefore I am. No, you, the I am is before you think. Okay. So in the beginning, we need a, we need a process, Jeff, right? So I send the frequencies healing technique. Uh, the change your mind, the 14 day notebook exercise. But once you've done that, you don't need a process. You don't need a prop, but to start off with, we need a process. And you don't see people backsliding. I haven't. The people that actually go through with this, they feel so much better. They feel so much lighter, so much happier, so much freer, so much more powerful, forgiving, compassionate that they would never trade that. There's nothing worth trading that for. In fact, if anything, the, the, the people that do this, they go on to start these incredible businesses, they start families, they, they start creating the life that they always felt that they were capable of. It, it's because the, the, the transformation is it's tangible, Jeffrey. It's when you feel so much better in every way, the last thing that you reach for is something to make you feel terrible. It's, it's too, you feel too good. You're too liberated. You're too happy, too out of your mind. It feels too great. So I found that people that actually follow through, it's just the opposite. The last thing they want to do is go back to the old habits that limited them. I wonder though, if I can keep pushing you a little bit, RJ, uh, the, the ego mind identity we started to speak about uh, at, at the beginning, to me, it's sort of like the layers of the onion. You peel one layer, there's another layer, another layer, another layer. We, I, I don't think we know how deep it is. And uh, it would seem to me it's a, more of a, a lifelong process, peeling the layers of, of the ego onion, I'll call it. There comes a point, though, uh, speak from my own direct you know experience there there comes a point where it's not so much layers that you're removing it's more of the depth of the i am the the filter the onion ha has been removed so now it's a tangible conscious connection with what you really are so at that at that point there's there really isn't layers being removed of of what I would term since it is my term what I would term <laughs> the ego mind it's it's not really those layers aren't being removed anymore Jeff what what is happening is that more of what you are is coming online so I wouldn't I mean I understand the question completely I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say the onion keeps getting peeled I would say at a certain point you you break free of that at a certain moment. At a certain moment, all so-called knowledge and ignorance are seen as the exact same thing, and they just fall away. Now, now there's—I promise you—and now there's no more. Oh, you know, I'm still peeling my onion. Now it's the depth of the I am. How attuned can you be to the fullness, the infinite nature of that? So there's this moment. And you can call that moment your your awakening, your self-realization, your enlightenment, whatever word, who cares? But it does happen. And at that point, you're no longer really a work in progress. You're, you're more expressing, as I talk about in the book, you're more expressing and maintaining the real you. Expressing and maintaining 
the real you, as opposed to continually peel the layers of the ego mind identity. When it comes to levels of enlightenment in, in for example, in Buddhism and in other uh, traditions, there are many different types of satori or nirvana. It seems as if uh, you can achieve a, a certain level of enlightenment, but there are many more to go. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right, Jeff. So I'll, I'll say real brief. I, otherwise, you know, I'll go on and on. Okay, so one man's enlightened, one woman's, one man's enlightenment is not the same as someone else because it has to do with the level amount of sentience of the of the I am. So, you know, your enlightenment will not be the same as your neighbor's or the same as mine. So it's not a universal destination. So it depends upon the, the sentience, the quality and the amount, believe it or not, believe it or not, of the sentience. And I'll also say, I'll add to this, Jeff, because I teach this in the self-mastery course that I teach. And my third book that comes out August of 2024 is going to be about the teachings of authentic self-mastery. What I've discovered, and I'm, I'm not the only one, it, it is, it is uh, rare, but I'm certainly not the only one. There is a lot past enlightenment. Enlightenment is full, from my perspective, Enlightenment or self-realization, Jeff, they're the, they're the same thing. They're full communion with who and what you really are, which would be your higher self. So an authentically self-realized being would actually be in full communion with the higher mind and the higher self. Their wisdom, their love, their compassion, their power is really mind-boggling. But that's the first level. Most of us stop there because we're so blissed out, <laughs> because it feels so good. There's tangible oneness, Jeff, tangible communion. And we, we sit there and we think, well, I've done it. I mean, this is it. I'm one with everything. There's no more suffering. My finite mind has left me. I only feel love and joy in this blissed out state. So you're just like, well, that's it. I've done it. That's the beginning. That I'm here to tell you, that is the beginning. There are many levels past self-realization. And my uh, next book in the course that I teach talks about what's past that. Well, RJ, it's been a great pleasure to have this time with you. It's been over a year since we've been together. I hope we don't have to wait another year until uh, your next book is finished before I get to be with you again. You, you have my word, Jeff. I got uh, overloaded with finishing that book, writing this mm -hmm. next book, and all the doing. We'll absolutely talk again soon. There's lots that we can talk about, Jeff. We will. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with me today, RJ. It's always a joy. Likewise, Jeff. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us because you are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now, many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? <laughs>